Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Dark Tower, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. <laughs> on this podcast, we talk about games, but also movies, which the Dark Tower is one of, and also the books related to those movies. Yes. So... Yeah, so, spoiler Lots warning. <laughs> also, yeah, that's a good point. Spoiler, spoiler warning. warning for the Dark Tower movie, for all eight Dark Tower books, for The Stand, The Talisman, uh, Eyes of the Dragon, Black House, Insomnia, Everything's Eventual, Little Sisters of Illyria, Hearts in Atlantis, and Salem's Lot. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yup. <laughs> 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 I read a ton. Um <laughs> And, you know, uh, just a quick no spoilers. Do you recommend the movie? No. The, okay. <laughs> do you recommend the movie? No. Maybe as like a maybe as like a three dollar oddity on DVD 10 years from now. Yeah. I think maybe I could recommend the movie almost as like a historical artifact because I think it's in the same place as like the mummy movie that came out. You know what I mean? Where like people are trying their like their damnedest to find like. Redeeming Expan qualities. Well, expansive, expansive material with which to forge a cinematic universe. If that makes sense. See, um, I think it would have been better if they tried to do that with this, but they didn't. Um, I don't know. Like, anyway, I, I do not recommend it. Don't waste your money. Yeah. Go see something better. Yeah. Um, just kind of off the bat, since you said it, I think this would have been better served as like a Harry Potter style ser style series of movies, mm -hmm. or as a prestige show on HBO. Um. Trying to put so like they put so much into this movie, and I think they didn't intend for it to be the only movie. There's so, um, there's a bunch of stuff in here that's just kind of like uh, I don't even know where to fucking begin. Um, <laughs> okay, well, so that's the end of our that's the end of our spoiler list stuff. Everything from yeah. here, spoilers are now three, two, one. Yeah. Go. So, um, I think the the, the more I think about, it, I think the worst thing about this adaptation. Um, is, uh, so, so in the books, which is this, in the books, Roland seeks the tower. Roland is trying to get to the dark tower. Um, okay. and in this movie, it sets it up as very different. It's not like a thing to be journeyed to, to seek. It's like a thing to defend almost, which like radically changes kind of like the tenor, like the, the whole book series is about the journey to the tower. Mm -hmm. Um, and making it like an objective to defend just, just changes it totally and entirely. Um, and on top of that, the fundamental change of Roland, which is as someone, so Roland as, as a dickhead, because he's obsessed is present in the books, but it's because he's obsessed with the tower. He's willing to do whatever he wants to, whatever he can to get to the tower. Um, and in fact, he like in the first book, he even like, lets someone die he lets he, he lets jake T chambers die because it it serves him getting to the tower which he justifies to him the book goes back and forth being whether you know like it's kind of justifiable because if the dark tower falls the universe ends mm. um that's another difference right it's not that demons get in from the outside this is not a huge deal but like it's the, the universe will literally fall apart if the dark tower falls um and so why you, does the man in black want to do that then so the man in black. So the man in black serves the Crimson King, um, who is referenced in the movie, but isn't explicitly, um, isn't explicitly uh, uh, named. And the the kind of idea is that the people who serve the Crimson King will be rewarded 
um, when when the Dark Tower falls. But part of it might be like that might just be a lie too. Right. Um, um, so, um, but like, so the man in black is basically working for another entity in the books, right? In, in the movie, it's because who fucking knows because he thinks he can work with these demons. I don't know. Yeah. I, that was also very unclear to me. Um, but yeah. Um, so, um, I'm just going to talk a little, speak a little bit briefly to something that, um, so a lot of people were excited because um, the end of Dark Tower Book 7 is he gets to the tower and he goes out of the top of it and he starts back at the beginning. Um, there's a cyclical nature to it. He starts back at the beginning of Book 1, not the beginning of his life. Um, essentially, he steps back out and it, there's this, this kind of tenor that he's doing things wrong um, and that he has to keep doing this until he gets it right, right? Um, and so... Like one Groundhog of, day, day style? Almost? Kind of, yeah. Um and one of the things is, is that he doesn't have the Horn of Eld um, at the begin at, in the Dark Tower series. He lost it at a battle uh, long ago. And one of the things that got everybody real hyped about this is in this movie, he has it. So maybe this is like another cycle. Maybe this is a cycle where he gets out. Um, but they changed so much else about it that it really doesn't... One, even if he gets to the tower, he's not going to get out because he's doing things wrong um, in the first place, which is fine on its own level. But they also like... The, like, like the, the fact that they change it from him being driven to get to the tower to him being driven by his father's revenge totally destroys that whole cyclical nature of it. And, like, it, it, it places it as not a a uh, a run in, in the uh, in in the cyclical nature of, of this universe. I mean, I guess technically it could be an earlier one, but that's that's not what anybody was looking for, especially when Stephen King tweets out a picture of the Horn of Eld and says, last time around. Meaning, you know, like that, like the books were like, essentially the, the first part and the, and the movie would be the second part. Um, and so I think from like that level, it's, it's just super wow. disappointing. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm actually like looking this up now. Wow. Fucking Stephen King really like misled the audience. I don't You know, I wonder if, if do you like, do you think that this is stuff that got cut out in post-production? Like, um, so looking at this, I think they tried to do way too much. Um, and I was also struck by this kind of impression that like, they obviously trimmed a lot of the more esoteric stuff for a new audience, um, but they also left a lot of stuff in that only people that were fans of the city uh, series would get. But they did it in such a way that, like, I, like I feel like they went too halfway about a lot of things in this movie. Like, I thought that, like, um, the like either you need to go full fan service and only fans of the series will really enjoy it. Uh, but then they got so much wrong, like, or not wrong, but they they changed so much in an attempt to make it more understandable to a new audience that, um, I don't know, it, 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 it just didn't, I don't know, it, it didn't work out well in my mind. Okay, so uh, what does the Horn of Eld do? So it's just, so, um, Eld, Arthur Eld is, ba is basically King Arthur. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it, Roland, I mean, they, they mentioned that his guns are made from Excalibur. Yeah, um. Which is really cool, and you find it out in the books because you find that out later. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was less cool here because it just kind of said it. Yeah. Um, uh, but the Horn of Hell doesn't do anything in particular, but it's, like, a thing he should have had. Like, to make it clear at the end that, like, um, you know, like, he keeps mentioning that he doesn't have it and he lost it. And then, some like, the tower whispers to him that he didn't have the horn. But then when he exits the tower, he has the horn because he, he – they 
the the entity like there's there's a lot of like supernatural entity stuff um basically indicated that you know the fact that you have the horn now is kind of a promise that this won't be eternal that you won't that eventually you know you're making progress and you'll eventually get it right um and so like the 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 exciting part here isn't what the horn of hell does it's the fact that he has it on him so it means that like he's a step closer to finishing the journey essentially um um but like i said they th i think they kind of screwed the pooch on that one um uh, yeah just on a movie making level it is shocking how generic and uh and kind of blase they made all of this yeah um, um, like I like I, I I definitely see it in the lore where it's interesting and what's compelling about it. Like I understand why people uh, like kind of can get into it and everything because I think you know like this mythology of like gunslingers and seers and stuff like that. Like that sounds you know, like that sounds pretty neat. It sounds pretty fucking cool, right? Um, but like <coughs> the movie spends so much time on Earth doing earth stuff and it and it and it focuses so hard on jake chambers as a character yeah uh that like it's just i don't know like i it's like it's like if game of thrones were from like the point of view of like some random servant instead of like sean bean like no sean sean bean is the main is the main character he gets all these pov chapters and everything like that right like uh, you know, like Ned Ned Stark, um, and uh, and so like, why would you make the 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 point of view character someone who is not Roland, who is clearly the yeah. most Actually, interesting character in the book? I, I think it's even it's even easier than that. I think this is as if all of the first book was um, was told from Arya Stark's point of view. Um, you know, like in like it makes sense to like have her have some stuff which she does in that first book. But you make the entire book from that, and you just kind of see, uh, see, um, what's his name? Uh, what's the what's the what's the what's John Bean's character's actual name? Uh, I'm sorry, whose character? Sean Bean, right? Sean. Oh Bean. yeah, Ned. Yeah, Ned Stark. Stark. Ned Stark. Like you make you 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 only tell Ned Stark's story through Arya's eyes. And it's not going to be. It's not going to be good, right? It's not going to be the same thing. Um, and I I, I think that's actually a, a good comparison to draw. Um. And, uh, like, so much of the Dark Tower series is is fucking uh, Roland's story. And they, they, they screwed with little things about Jake Chambers that made no sense, right? Like, in the books, his parents are both assholes. His dad's, like, a TV executive, and his mom's, like, and they're both, they're, they're both rich, and they're, like, kind of, like, aloof and out of Jake's life. And you could, it's kind of like, you know, they try, but they're not perfect, and, like, they rely on their nanny a lot, and, like, the dad's kind of an asshole, and the mom's banging the masseuse, all that kind of stuff. But that only comes out, like, in book three. In, in book one, it's kind of like, yeah, they're kind of absent parents, and there's problems. Um, and it's not so bad, because they kind of get that with his stepdad being an asshole, but, like, making his mom, like, this tragic figure, and his dad this, 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 like... It's just pathos. Yeah, it's, 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 but it's not, like... <laughs> It's, it's very cheap pathos, I think. It's like very like Pixar pathos. Ooh, that's a great term. I'm a co I'm coining that. Pixar pathos is like the kind of thing where like you introduce a character and characterize them in one way only so that you can like, you know, it just feels very forced and inauthentic. Yeah. Um, which is what it's just what I felt about the mother. Yeah. Um, and I think I think a big part of this is 
it kind of has to be like because they try and do so much with this movie they try and like pull out they try and do like there are elements of book like i think of all the books in this movie right like that like that that base that they're in that's in book seven okay um do the portals exist yeah the portals um portals don't exist until book two and they're not portals they're like actual doors um it's it's a lot more magical a lot less technical um there's actually a whole thing in the later books about um about like the interplay between magic and technology and and how like uh people basically try to replace magic or magic with technology and it it, the technology eventually broke down it's a whole thing um I do want to take a second here to just say that I also don't think that the Dark Tower is as good as people make it out to be. Um, the Dark Tower book series? Yeah, yeah, okay. yes. Um, uh, it, especially in the last books, it gets kind of self-indulgent. I, I told you this earlier, but I'm going to repeat it again because I just think it's ridiculous. Um, book five is um, basically the Seven Samurai, but the enemies are Doombots with lightsabers and snitches from Harry Potter. And explicitly that, like... Like, they, they go through the whole battle scene, and then at the end, they kind of explicitly say, like, oh, those things are, like, lightsabers from that movie Star Wars that came out when I got taken. And um, they look at one of the snitches, snitch-like things, and it says, Sneech, Harry Potter edition. Um, and that's not too bad, right? But then they find a copy of Stephen King's book, Salem's Lot, on a bookcase. And it tells the story of one of the characters, one of the characters in The Dark Tower is in that book as well. And then they go and they go meet Stephen King. <laughs> um, and, and, and in that book, they, they say not only one, um, one of the characters says that book five was just like that movie, Magnificent seven in the end of book set book six, there's like Stephen King's journal. And he says, I just watched the seven samurai that I'll probably show up in book five wolves of the Kala. Like, in-universe. This is all, like, in-universe stuff. And it's so, like, masturbatory. And then in book seven, like, there's this whole chapter where literally someone says, well, why did these things happen? And then one of the characters is like, I remember something like this from literature class, something like God from the Machine. And they spend a whole chapter talking about how Stephen King, the character in the book series, wrote Deus Ex Machinas into the book series earlier in the series. And it's just so fucking... Uh, I, I can't stand it. I can't... I, I can't... <laughs> And, you know, if you chop all that out, the story's still pretty good, but, like, it, it's just so jarring to see them have to go, like, visit Stephen King, like, two or three times over the course of the series. And the afterword of the seventh book is him basically, like, explaining why he did it. Why did he, why did he do it? Because he felt like he needed to, like, explain some of the things that happened in the earlier books. I don't know. It feels like a lot of George Lucas goes and does the special editions because it's all part of his original vision, right? Like fixing things that he thought he did wrong. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I, I like, I guess he felt like it, it felt better to, to signpost the fact like the fact that Dave six mockings exist isn't because he was a lazy writer. It's because he wrote himself as a character. That was a lazy writer. He also spends like a whole chapter making fun of the guy who hit him with a van in 1999. Like that's like a major plot point. Like, you know those these beams that like are ho- like over the dark. Did you pick up on this that like the beams that are over the dark tower are holding it together, like those uh, six radial points? No, but okay. Okay, so the beams are very important in the books, um, and all but 
two of the six beams have fallen. Um, and Roland is working on protecting one of them. And Stephen King is guarding another one, right? And so he, in the books, he is supposed to die in 1999 when he gets hit by a van, which is the thing that happened in real life. He got hit by a van. And what? so, yeah. And so, what? The, what? what? <laughs> and so, in the books, they keep Stephen King from dying to that van. Like Roland and Jake. Jake actually gives his life to save Stephen King from being killed by the van. What? Yes. What <laughs> is going on? Yeah, he like pushes Stephen King out of the way. Stephen King still gets hurt, right? Like the thing it's framed as that the thing that happened in real life is the same thing that happened in the book 7 of the book except that Stephen King doesn't remember it because of reasons. Um and you know, so you know, Dark Tower is pretty good, but it's not, you know, it's got its own problems. In fact, like, oh, man. I, I, I'm sorry I'm ranting so much, but, like, my favorite book of all these fucking books that I read was <laughs> Insomnia, right? Um, it's It's got a bunch of uh, kind of insights into this world. Um, and I'm like, oh, man, as part of the canon, this is super explanatory. It's great. Um, basically, at some point, someone hands Roland a copy of Insomnia. And they go over the fact that, like, it's like something that Stephen King wrote that isn't quite right, but it's like shadow. Like they basically invalidate the canon of insomnia inside of book seven by having it be a book inside of book seven. And this infuriated me so much because it was my favorite book. Like basically by having Stephen King be a character in the books, he writes out all the inconsistencies across the literature because the excuses it's Stephen King writing it down wrong. It's, uh, I don't, uh, it's, that sounds awful. I'm not going to lie. That sounds yeah. god-awful. Yeah. Uh, and I think that would drive me insane. It's I pretty good until the end. It's pretty good until the end of book five, right? Like, okay. Um, book six, like, and if you, if you like, get a rat, like, if you can ignore that stuff, um, it's mostly okay. Um, and it's interesting stuff, right? Like, it's, mm -hmm. like, um... But it's, it's, it's a lot of kind of... It's kind of like the spiritual equivalent of, like, movies that have too many... That have, like, too many pop culture references or, like, too, too kind of, like, cognizant of the... Like, like the chapters... The genre's heavy? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I found that about, like, the... Like, five, six... Like, the end of five, six, and seven were just too, too much for me. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so take that, Dark Tower fans. So, uh, uh, so uh, the uh, I'm I, so now I'm curious about a couple of, like the like the, the the bleed over things. Is do you think Idris Elba was a good Roland slash Matthew McConaughey was a good Walter Man in Black? Really, Walter, by the way, the most like un I you know like like. The most unthreatening name I think I've ever heard because it's always attached to like a really old grandpa. You know yeah, I, mean? like I think it, I think it works better in the books because they're both they're both like you know Walter is an old grandpa, but like you know back when Walter was a common name and he would have been a young man, right? Like you get that kind of sense from like the time, like like kind of the time framing of the books. Okay. 
right? Like Roland and Walter in the desert in an, in like what is kind of like an old west like semi medieval setting works. Um, so I think that Idris Elba could have been a, like I think he's a good choice for Roland. I think this particular de- particular depiction of Roland by the script is bad. Um, okay. I don't think that's Idris Elba's fault. Um, I don't. Is there, is there some like major like 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 pitfall so that the, they made in the script? Yeah, the, the single biggest thing, like I said, I said this earlier, is Roland in this movie is driven by revenge against his father and to find Walter, whereas in the books he is driven to 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 get to the tower. Um, and I think that just so radically changes the character that it um that it that, that it does damage to it, right? Like the like the the Walt the, the Roland in the books is all it's also kind of like the, the, the thing where it's like he's not a gunslinger anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. that is such a thing that is so not Roland. Like Roland would be a gunslinger to the point of excess, right? Like to the point of like not like to the point of like, you know, I need to like protect the tower and so I you know, I'm willing to like let someone bleed out or something like that, right? Like the idea of Roland putting this village in danger to set up a portal is very in character for the book Roland if he's using that to seek the tower, but not just right. to go on this petty kind of revenge mission. Um And then that's the thing that bothered me the, the most about it. Um um, I also thought, just kind of on 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 a similar note, I thought the the I thought the actor for Jake Chambers was terrible. Um, I don't think he could emote well at all. Did I think he was terrible? I, yeah, I mean, I have a really tough time with child actors to begin with. Yeah, he's pretty bad. Well, I also think that uh, to be honest, a lot of this was drawing from like um, uh, kind of the ha- like you know like the Harry Potter Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe fantasy yeah. of like. Oh, why my life? I you know I'm not just a normal kid. I'm something special or whatever. Like yeah, I don't know. I think he sold aspects of that. Yeah, he, yes. Yeah, he's he's also not that in the books. There's also two other main characters <coughs> in the books, which oh, is who? um. There's a guy named Eddie, and a woman named Susanna. Um, I don't think they can do Sus- so. Susanna is a um, she's a woman from like the 60s um she's she's like a black civil rights activist but like she's got schizophrenia of some sort and she's got both like um her father was like a, a, a invented a bunch of dental stuff so she's very rich so her one personality is like super prim and proper and the other one is like this like stereotype of a um of like kind of like a a, a black ghetto thug type woman and i that's the thing that's there is supposed to be it's what she imagines those people are like because she's never actually lived that because her father's rich. Um, but it's supposed to be kind of like her getting out her, like, demons, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, all the part of the plot of the second book is her kind of, like, turning, like, like rec- she doesn't know that she's got these two personalities. And it's her facing that and bringing herself back into this one character, Susanna. Um and then Eddie Dean is a cocaine addict from uh, New York in the 70s. Um, uh, no, the 80s. Um, so Jake's from like the 70s, Odetta, or Susanna's from the 60s, and Eddie's from like the 80s. Um, Eddie and uh, and uh, 
and Jake are actually about the same, have about the same birth year, but they're taken from different points in time. So Jake's right. a kid and Eddie's like a young adult. Is this um, just like people like wander through these magic doors? Or something? No. So the end of the first book, um, he, 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 he catches Walter. They talk, Walter leaves him and then he wakes up like a bunch of time later. Um, and then there are the, he walks along the beach and there are these doors and he opens each door. One, one has Eddie Dean behind it. One has Susanna behind it. Um, and one has a third character, Jack Mort, who is, um, he's, he's, an, he's a guy who like pushes kids into like, he, he pushes Jake Chambers into the, so, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff I have to go into for you in order for you to understand this. In the first book, okay. Jake Chambers shows up, but he has died in his own timeline. And he kind of shows up here by some sort of magic. Um, and then in the course of the first book, they chase Walter across the desert. And then there's a moment where essentially Roland either choose to catch up to Walter or save Jake and he lets Jake die. Um, so he catches up to Walter, um, Walter, he feels really guilty about it, but he catches up to Walter. Walter does this thing. He wakes up a bunch of years later. Um, he wakes up and a lobster like cuts off the two fingers on his right hand. And then, what? yes, um, and they're not like lobsters. They're like big, like they're called, he calls them lobstrosities. Um, and then he walks along the beach and there are these <laughs> doors and one of the doors leads into, it's, it's kind of like, um, being John Malkovich. Okay. Um, he opens the door and he can see through Eddie's eyes. And if he walks through the door, he can kind of take over Eddie's body for periods of time. Um, and, uh, Eddie needs, Eddie's like being a drug mule. Um, and so he helps him resolve all of that. Um, and then he brings him back on the other side along with some medication because he's he's sick because he's been poisoned by the lobstrosities. Um, and uh, then and then he goes and he goes gets and gets Su Susanna uh, or Odetta Walker out. That's almost immediate. They jump in on her and pull her back through the door. And the third book, the third door is Jack Mort, who is this dude who one was the guy who pushed Jake in the first place. Um, and Roland keeps him from doing that. Um, and then he's also the guy who he throws a brick off a building and it hits Susanna on the head, which is what causes her to split into those two personalities in the first place. Um, uh, and then okay. later in life, he also pushes her off a subway stand, which causes her to lose her legs. She's in a wheelchair. I forgot to mention that. Um, because uh, she, these are all the same person. Yeah. Jack, so Jack Mort managed it like not on purpose, but pushes Jake. Throws a brick onto Susanna's head when she's a child and pushes Susanna into like the subway when a car is approaching, um, which causes her to lose her legs. Um, kind of by coincidence. So one of the big things about all of Stephen King's works, at least kind of in this Dark Tower universe, um, is that there's this thing called Ka, which is roughly translates to fate, and it like it gets used as kind of like an excuse for things happening it's it's kind of so basically like super coincidences like this like yeah the same guy yeah it's okay. ka it's ka um and so um instead of pulling him through uh roland throws him in front of a subway train um and he dies um and basically the third book is is about because he's prevented jake chambers from dying it's tearing both him and jake chambers apart because he was supposed to die and he's got like two unresolved times in his head and they resolve it and that actually the end of that part of the book where they get Jake Chambers is happens in that house in the, uh, in, in the in movie, the beginning of the movie. movie yeah. yeah. Um, with the house <coughs> demon too. Um, it gets defeated by Roland shooting it and then the pulling Jake through the door instead of, um, instead of 
Jake's being shine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the shine, right? Like, you, you get it, buddy? It's the shine, like the shining. The shining, yeah. I, get it? I you that, get it? Like, you get oh the reference, buddy? Oh, fucking God. <laughs> and then you hear a dog barking. A dog named Cujo. <laughs> Just, I don't... Uh. Anyway. <laughs> let's talk more about the movie instead of me okay, ranting so, about the books. So, is Walter a good... Like, is Matthew McConaughey a good Walter? I think that he's a... A good choice for him. I don't know if this Walter was. I thought this Walter was all right. I thought kind of like really the w- interesting. Like the way he like used his magic was kind of dumb. But like, I actually think that that is probably one of the things that is worse about the movie is that he has this dumb magic that doesn't that just is dumb. Yeah. Um. Like. I, I feel like defined power. I mean, I you know, like being a superhero guy, I'm very addicted to defined power sets, right? And so there probably should be more space in my head to allow for someone to kind of have an open ended power set like that or whatever. But it just like it feels uh, uh, like like a lot of the time I talk about a concept um, uh, of like texture or like. Um, you know, like, traction almost, like, something that you can, like, grab onto, right? Like, I think there's a certain amount of, like, texture to the power set of Iron Man, right? Even though he can kind of have, like, all of these, like, tech gadgets or whatever, but, like, the consistency of kind of, like, you know, these red lasers that he uses or, you know, the repulsor rays that come out of, like, the wrists and everything like that. Like, I don't know, like, there's something about that that just feels more, like, like, um... Uh, just something more tactile and like real almost. Yeah. Like, um, so so in the books, his powers <laughs> are open ended, but he never uses them so like flippantly. Um, like oh, okay. it's it's always kind of like like a thing that's done with kind of great sparingness. Um, funnily all- enough, I actually kind of thought his flippant use of the powers is probably the most redeeming thing. I think I think I, like at the end of the day Walter is a really bad villain for for a multitude of reasons, but at least he has some personality because of that flippantness if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I think I think his smugness is good. Like I think that makes him a decent Walter. Um but I, I it's you, you don't see a ton of Walter. And in fact, I think at the very end they, they, he kind of dies like a chump. Um, but I think oh, the, yeah, dude. Yeah, did you like that? Like, bouncing a bullet off of yeah. another bullet right as he's about to catch it? Yeah, um, at the end the end of the books, he dies like a chump, which is what I was referencing. But uh, Oh, oh, how does he die in the books, then? Um, so, all right, this requires a little bit more explanation. So, in the, first, you. In the first book, Jake gets... So, you know how Jake gets distracted, like, gets, like, called in by, his, like, the ghost of his father? Mm-hmm. In the first book, that's like a demon that tries, like a sex demon that tries to seduce Jake. So when that happens, I'm like, whoa, are they going to go with that in this movie? Obviously, they didn't. Uh, yeah. So in to keep the sex demon from, like, suff- sucking the life out of Jake, Roland goes and, like, power fucks it. Then in the third book, when they're trying to pull Jake through, there's another demon, but it's a male one. And that male demon power fucks Susanna. What? Turns out 
that they're both the same demon, and they took the semen from Roland. Oh my God! And put it into no way. <laughs> put it into Susanna. Oh. But put it put it through some demon stuff, so that like the kid they have, the kid. So the kid they have is is like prophesized to kill Roland. Oh my God. That kid's name is Mordred. And that's, like, the plot of the sixth book. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that, it's like a baby, but it ages rapidly, and it can turn into a spider. So the spider kills Walter. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I tell you that the details make it better, but it doesn't. <laughs> Because you've got a little bit of space, and like with a little bit of distance, you can be like, "Oh, that's a little bit clever," but like, no, it's it's it's, yeah. But yeah, I actually thought his death in the movie was better. Um, like so, so Stephen King isn't great at action, so the action scenes in the books are basically like, and Roland shot a bunch of guys perfectly, and it was great, and that's fine because they're short, and he doesn't make a big deal out of them, and because of that. It's not like you don't, like, rest on it too much. Mm-hmm. And so it, it doesn't... Since they're not important, it doesn't matter that they're not well-written. Um, these scenes that they do in the in the movie, um, I think are neat. I think the fact that, like, Roll, that that, that uh, he gets around this by, like, bouncing bolts is, is neat. Um, but I also wasn't a huge fan of the... Uh, the gunplay, because um, to me it looks like Idris Elba is basically waving the guns back and forth, and people are falling over. I think I've been spoiled by by John Wick essentially. Um, like the fact that he like the fact that he's just kind of like 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 instead of doing like the, like the kind of like very deliberate movements that John Wick does, he just kind of like waves them and like they put like muscle flashes on it and people fall over. It it I don't know. It doesn't work for me. Um. At least. Yeah. Uh, well, so I think the gunplay is okay to a certain extent. Um, in the in the kind of um, uh, like what? Well, what what do I think about this? Um, I like the reloading things a little bit, but I don't like the one where he throws it in the air, which is the one they use in the trailer a lot or yeah. whatever. Um. Actually, I guess I just didn't like it. I just didn't like it. I think you're right. I just didn't like it. Yep, yep, nope. Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> like, I think there are a couple of good things. Like, I think the uh, the slow motion bits, like the one where he shoots the sniper through the scope, I thought that was all right. Um, and uh, the, uh, the one where he kind of, like, focuses and then shoots the guy across the field, I thought that was kind of on message. But I, th- I thought the, like, the, the general action scene wasn't, wasn't good. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, I feel that. I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that. I think, I think the biggest thing also was just like how, um, 
uh, like the open-endedness of Walter's powers made that fight uninteresting because you had one person who was very clearly kind of like def whose power set was very clearly like defined, right? right? Um, and uh, and then one person who's just like like I like he just I I don't know it, like why doesn't he just stop the bullets like he's in the fucking Matrix? Why does he catch them? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and those kinds of questions, I hate these things because I, typ I typically think they're just nitpicky bullshit, right? But, like, I don't know. Like, it really kind of begs a lot of these questions. Um, and so that just wasn't that just wasn't very fulfilling. Also, just, like, you could tell there was a big chunk of the movie that got cut out because they, like, kind of moved into, like, okay, it's Act 3 territory way too quickly, it felt like. Like, in a certain sense, I actually kind of thought that, like, the beginning was, like, not good, but like, you could have sold me on this movie if you ended strong off of that beginning, like still yeah. like middling almost, you know. But like, at least there's like, at least it like follows plot point, you know. Like, it doesn't have like the Suicide Squad problem of like, you know, just like the plot itself doesn't make sense, and the beginning, you know, they introduce you to Deadshot three times, you know, like it doesn't yeah. have those kinds of problems. It has just like boring genericness problems. That are just like there's just nothing to there's just nothing to like ever I don't know get involved or invested in and that's what's frustrating I, I uh. there's no room for anything to breathe in this either like it's 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 88 fucking minutes for like yeah, uh. yeah I mean that's a that's a that, that like well that's a telltale sign of uh, like studios do this pretty commonly because what they will do is they will chop a movie that they know is bad down <coughs> to get more um to get more viewings in right like if you're not confident in the movie that you're putting out at three hours chop it by an hour kind of thing and you'll get more and you'll and you'll get more money because there's more showings at the theater uh, and I that see. means that like it's more flexible and people can like go see it a little bit easier and it's actually the reason i know about this and i want to thank the whole world for waiting with me to see when I would mention this is because this is an accusation that gets leveled against Batman vs Superman all the time for why those 30 minutes got cut out of the Ultimate Edition and why the Ultimate Edition go to, didn't go to theaters is because the, the studio got spooked, they cut half an hour off so they could get more screenings in so that they could make more money. Anyway, that was it. That was my one reference. <laughs> but like, so, but like, that's a real thing. You know what I mean? Like, eighty-eight yeah. minutes. Yeah. Like, you can fit a lot more eighty-eight-minute showings in than you can one hundred and twenty-minute showings in in a day. Um, so, I think it was just kind of like a tactical move by the studio. I also think, as to your like cinematic universe thing, right? Like, the studio, like, so um, the studio that publishes, uh, or sorry, that that doesn't, not that publishes it, but that distributes uh the dark tower isn't a huge uh like mega house uh they, like they just don't have tons and tons of money right this is columbia right um columbia so like the big like the big players are guys like warner brothers right you know obviously like they hold the harry potter rights they have a bazillion dollars off of the harry potter rights uh you know like all of these dc comics movies or, or, or whatever um then you have uh disney right uh, who is top... Warner Brothers was top dog for a long time, but now it's Disney who's top dog um, because of, you know, Marvel uh, and, like, kind of the re-renaissance of these Disney movies and, like, Pixar and shit like that. 
Um, and then, uh, and then you have like Fox and a little bit Sony, but Sony is always very wavering between whether or not they want to be like top tier or kind of second tier. And then under that, you kind of have this second tier where you have guys like Columbia, right? You have guys like Lionsgate who did the, the Hunger Games movies, right? Um, MGM, you know, who basically only really does James Bond anymore just cause they have like no money at all, uh, sort of thing. And so I don't, I just don't think that they had the cash on hand in order to make this film um it like like they can't do the thing where they like include sequel options for a guy like matthew mcconaughey because of how like much star power he commands uh, i see you know what i mean and so i think that they had to kind of say you know what we're gonna make this movie if it goes huge right like if they make it big um then we can kind of get everybody back in back in the chair sort of thing um but otherwise you know yeah I how is this movie doing? Uh, it won its first weekend, and it will probably... I don't think it's going to do well enough to get much. Okay. Um, but when I say it won its worst its first weekend, it was top... You know, like, most of the times, like, the way that you can tell a movie is a... Like, a lot of the times when you can tell a movie is a success or not a success is about how it performs in comparison to other movies that are that are coming out around it, right? Right? So, like, the first kind of milestone for a movie to, like, hurdle over to be successful is to open big, right? Because most of a movie's money gets made in its first, you know, like, it's made in its first weekend sort of thing, right? So, if your movie opens up and it's not number one, right, and it's a big budget movie, like, this happened to The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is kind of, like, the biggest like almost upset quote-unquote upset um of all of these movies right the amazing spider-man 2 came out and the first weekend it was out it got beaten by like bridesmaids or something you know what i mean just like some cop like r-rated comedy and everyone was like whoa that's and that's why sony was like all right these amazing spider-man movies are clearly not working the fuck out right Right. Um, so the Dark Tower won its first weekend, but it's won its first. But like, so for instance, Batman vs Superman wins its first weekend with hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. The Dark Tower won its first weekend with like twenty million dollars, and it's like, well, okay, where are you gonna go from there? I guess. And now its budget was a lot less, right? You know, like the BVS budget was a lot was a lot higher, sort of thing. Um, but like you, you need, you know, like you need to kind of go far. The other way that you can be like successful is when you have what, what's called legs, right? Um, but so like Wonder Woman right now has fantastic legs. Um, and that's not, that's not like a, it's not like a sex thing. It's like a, it's called how long it, it's, legs are how long it, it is, it goes and it makes a lot of money. Um, and, and since coming out in June, Wonder Woman has basically just been making money weekend over weekend over weekend over weekend, and now it's at $400 million domestically, which is huge, right? Right, right, Like, right. it's bigger than basically every other, um, uh, you know, like, non-Avengers. I think Iron Man 3 is ahead of it, but basically bigger than all, like, all of these other superhero movies that are kind of, like, coming out, right? But Wonder Woman's debut wasn't huge. It was about $100 million, which is higher than people, like, thought that it would be. Like, people thought it was going to be about Man of Steel range, which is going to be, like, 85 to 90 sort of thing. It overperforms by $15 million. Great, right? But then it goes on to make triple that because it's a good movie and people keep showing up for it in the theaters in July and in August, right? And so now, three months after its release, it's still raking in, you know, a million dollars a day kind of a thing, right? I don't think the Dark Tower will have legs, and I don't think it had a big enough, uh, like it had a big enough opening to really kind of like, like catapult itself into like the stratosphere, right? I bet that um, it will, um, 
what what I bet that it will do is it will make enough money that the studio will like make its cash back, right? You know what I mean? And they'll say, you know what? One of these was just fine. Like. <laughs> <coughs> Also, now that I'm looking at the, now that I've looked up these statistics, it made 19.5 million in its first weekend, which dethroned uh, Dunkirk, who was top dog for two weeks at the at the box office. Um, although it was the second lowest gross for a film to finish number one in all of 2017. So, what was the lowest? You know, probably something in like January or February, just like in the in the awful dead times. Okay. Ah, well then. That's interesting to note. Sorry, yeah, I mean that's like hey, a lot man. of inside baseball stuff, but I actually I really like this kind of stuff. I go I go kind of nuts for it. Yeah, um, no, that's that's you know. Uh, and I don't think it'll hold on even. Uh, I don't think it'll it'll hold on uh, even more than that. I bet that it will. Um, I bet that it will fall over the next couple of uh, over the next couple of weeks. Just to like, there's like a lot of just like random small scale stuff that's not. That's the that that's coming out that will probably dethrone it, um, you know. Like there's this like Ryan Reynolds Sam Jackson movie about a hitman that's coming out. People say that it's good, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, huh. Sam Jackson movie about a hitman? Yeah. What movie is that? I think it's called The Hitman's Bodyguard. Oh, The Hitman's Bodyguard. That's right. I remember seeing ads for that. Yeah, yeah. I, apparently it's good. It's getting well. It's at fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not amazing, but you know, uh, it, the like I I wouldn't be surprised if like this Sam Jackson, Ryan Reynolds, you know, Selma Hayek, Gary Oldman. There's a lot of people with uh, with some kind of uh, uh, star power in here. It'll it'll put butts in seats. I bet you know whatever. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Um, so when it comes to the Dark Tower, you said that it, you think it would make a good prestige HBO show, um, in the vein of like you know the Game of Thrones. Is it because of the journey being more episodic in like in nature or like? Um, I think you could do it the same way you do like, uh, like they do Game of Thrones. Maybe you don't need like full seasons, but like the books are broken out into, um, these kind of. These, these these sections, like, the each section has, like, I guess they're, I don't know, each chapter has, like, sub-chapters, and I think you could do those kind of, in each their own kind of piece. Um, and because this movie is so much about, or not movie, this series is so much about the journey, I think that would better suit it, kind of, like, give it that kind of, like, length of, kind of, uh, of, like the, the feeling that that, it, that it's a long and arduous journey by by kind of letting your, you play with like the the longer things and the weirder things that happen in the books to to give it a little bit more distance in it, right? Um, it's 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 a like a, as you as you've heard, it's a very weird series. Um, Do you think I'll, there's a version of things where they just like filter out that stuff and just kind of like the like the oh Stephen King defends one of the beings? Yes. With his oh life, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think that, I think there's like. Like, if you just lean into the wild, like, dystopian Wild West thing, maybe yeah. it work. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you get some of, some of the weirdness, including Stephen King's weird penchant for having old people have sex. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the kind of more obtuse parts. Like, I, I do think you could fix, like, you could fix a lot of the weirdness in, in a, a kind of, like, a, a second draft in, as, like, a series or whatever. And it would, it would be good. 
Um, uh, most of most of the books take place in Midworld. They don't take place in in New York. Um, there's a lot of trips back to New York, but that's not like the primary place that things happen. Okay. Um, um, oh, I wanted to point out another fucking. Uh, sorry, I, I started to jump back to this, but there was there was a thing I wanted to point out that I thought was very silly in the books. Um, so you know those orbs that 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 uh, Walter uses to like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're called like wizards' glasses, and there's like. A bunch of them, but only two show up in the series because they're supposed to be very powerful artifacts. And one of them is called Black Thirteen, um, and it helps them travel between worlds, but it also tries to trap them because it's an inherently evil device. You know, standard uh, type of stuff. Okay, yeah. So like, kind of like the Palantir. Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of works in, it, it works as itself, but the way they deal with it is, um, because of Ka, essentially, they put it in long-term storage. Now, where do they put it in long-term storage? In the World Trade Center. Where it they paid till time oh, out to no way they paid till storage for out June of two thousand two, and they do this in nineteen ninety nine. So you know, that's how the uh, the uh, you know is like oh what could get to this? It's like oh maybe if the building fell down, well then it would be buried beneath thousands of pounds of concrete and it'd probably be fine. It's like really, you know, like th this is this is the type of stuff that just makes me kind of like you really did that, like wow. That's that's honestly like a little bit like it's like kind of fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like I I feel really bad for saying that because I think that like you know like this kind of language gets used improperly a lot of the time. You know what I mean? To kind of like shit on things for th you know what I mean? And yeah, like, yeah. It's really it's really unfair. Like I think yeah yeah you should be able to make a movie about the, you know the terrorist attacks from nine eleven or whatever. But it's just like. God, using it as like a plot, not even a plot point, just like yeah. a, just like a shitty little detail. It, it's only in like a fantasy series. Three thousand people died. Like yeah, and it's not even like it's only a thing that like you get as like a, as as a reader, right? Like the uh, the 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 you know the the characters don't know what happens because this happened. Like the last time they visit New York is in nineteen ninety nine, and they they right. don't go back. So, oh my God, oh my God, that's so bad. It's like an Easter egg, but the Easter egg is like the most like horrifying terrorist attack that's ever taken place on U.S. soil. Yeah, like you know what I mean. It's like it's, it's like you know how you know how you're supposed to feel. You know what I mean when there's like a there's a there's a there's an Easter egg in like one of these Marvel movies. It's like oh hey well that's the birthplace of Captain Marvel. You know what I mean? And you're like so excited about it. What the? F why would you take that emotional paradigm and apply it to the World Trade Center attacks? I can't even. Oh man, that's yeah. really fucked up. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're not gonna get any argument from me. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um. Wow. Yeah. So to lend some credence, actually. To your idea, um, not that it would be an HBO spinoff necessarily, um, but um, the uh, fucking um, 
Oh god, what's the name? It's one of these. It's one of these like YA movies. I think it's like the Maze Runner series. No wait, no, it's another one. Maybe like Percy Jackson or something like that. One of these YA movies. They realized that it would actually be more cost effective for them to make a TV show out of it than make like a third movie. So like the sequel to the movie is a TV show, right? That they just and it's all the same people or whatever. I think it's the Divergent series actually. Now that I think about it. Um, and, uh, and people have talked about, like, that being, like, a relatively clever move, and, like, oh, there's gonna be more, you know what I mean, like, there's gonna be more people who, who do, who do, who do this with their movies, and, like, the, the prime example of that is The Dark Tower. The problem is, could you get, uh, Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey, uh, well, I guess you don't need Matthew McConaughey anymore, obviously, but could you get Idris Elba to come back and do, like, this television show for you sort of thing. So I, I, I did a little bit of reading, um, and I think that, that, that there are, there are actually plans to do a TV series, but with like young Roland's adventures, like prequel stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and so Idris Elba would only have to be the, like the guy who kind of like in the first episode talks to Jake about what he's doing. Um, and then there's a different actor for young Roland, um, is, is what I have, what is what I have read, but that was, you know, I'm obviously not as inside baseball as you like to put it as you are. So, mm. yeah, uh, I mean, I really wonder because there's like, you know, like Idris Elba obviously got his start in television and a lot of people like it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, like, so Idris Elba made his like huge break on the wire, um, where he played Stringer Bell. Uh, and then, uh, and then kind of later in a, in a BBC series called Luthor or Lu- not Luthor, uh, Luther. Okay. Um, Luthor. And, yeah, I know, I know. Just uh, <laughs> <coughs> Elba would make a fantastic Lex Luthor. Holy shit. Anyway, um, so, uh, but like now you kind of have almost like the opposite happening uh, in certain situations where like prestige actors are going to television um, instead of like using television as a springboard like for movies, I guess. Um uh, and like, and, and a lot of like the prestige stuff that's going on is in like the realm of television, right? Like, like I really think Breaking Bad at the end of it is probably like the best television show that's been, you know, from the last ten years, right? And it's better, and and like the like the prestige they got for that show, you know, like Brian Cranston and and, and uh, um, oh god, what's that guy's name? Aaron something, the guy who played like Jesse Pickman, even like little, you know, like um. Uh, you know, like, like, uh, uh, Bob Odenkirk made, you know, made a name for himself and, and is winning awards now for, like, Better Call Saul, like, off of the back of, like, this TV show. So, like, they're, like, and, and, you know, and then you look at things like Anthony Hopkins with, like, Westworld, right? Um, or, uh, you know, a guy like Jason Bateman, right? Jason Bateman made the jump from Arrested Development to movies, and now he's back doing Ozark for Netflix, right? Kevin Spacey, right? doing house of cards and so there's there's a little bit of a precedent for it and so like maybe like that kind of thing happens uh and if you got the right kind of writing team in place you could make like you know everybody wants to make the the next game of thrones out of things like maybe you could do that out of fucking out of fucking uh uh the dark tower i think that westworld to be honest has kind of cannibalized that space and I, i don't think people will get as interested or um or invested, I guess, in the in the kind of like cowboy drama of it, but you know, hey man. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I think that Dark Tower really had, or rather, um, 
Westworld really is 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 in that space. Um, have you seen Westworld, by the way? I have not. Um, Oof, I mean, it's very good. It's very good. I was very, very very surprised about how how good I thought Westworld was, um, uh, because of things. Whatever. Who cares? That's not what we're talking about. Um. So, um. Uh, if you were to recommend something, right, like for the sequel to this movie, right, you're like, okay, look, they're coming up with a sequel. Idris Elba signed on. It's got a budget. It's got a director. It's kind of like whatever. Like, like what would you what would you pitch? What would you want to do for the sequel to the movie as it came out? Um, as like like if they put if they were like, hey Mango, you're in charge of this shit. Go nuts. Okay. Um, I think you put the the kind of the series back on track. By having a reason that Roland has to go to the tower. Like, like you, you put Roland back on the track of the tower now that um, now, now that the man in black's been dealt with, right? Like, um, may, maybe kind of retcon it so that, um, so, so, so that, like, basically this was a distraction in the first place and he was always supposed to have been, been going towards the tower or something like that. Right. Um. And then, I think, so, with the idea that this is a kind of long draw for, like, more movies in the future, right? Like, this is done well enough that this is going to be a new series rather than just a, just a, one more movie. I think then you do the drawing of the three, um, which is essentially introducing Eddie Dean and Susanna. Doing Eddie would be fine and easy Susanna is tougher because like a lot of kind of her initial interaction with um with uh with Roland and and Eddie is the fact that she like her like her evil personality Detta um hates them because they're white um obviously doesn't work with Ninja Selva Roland um I think you can still get it to work you just have to play it differently um okay um and uh I think that's I think that's how I would do it. I think I I would skip the Jack Bort stuff cuz that's a little bit of the weirdness. I since you don't have like the prophecy stuff. Right. Um you can introduce that in a different way like have have the oracle from the first movie make another appearance and like tell him that he has to go find two other people to be part of his quartet. You start getting in some of some of the weird stuff, but not too bad. Um, like some of the themes that, 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 that I think work well. And, um, you have that pull into kind of, um, and the second movie is basically them dealing with Eddie and Susanna and kind of the big kind of, and, and you kind of have it be like, um, almost like an empire strikes back. Like you have it, how would you have that end? You have it end with. Oh, um, you can have maybe something like, so Eddie deals with this, the, the guy who runs drugs for is this kind of mafioso named Balazar, and then you could transform that into a very easy kind of plot thing to kind of deal with, like, you know, if, if I'm going to be super cliche, because I'm, I'm not a movie writer, right, like, you have, like, Balazar take Eddie, um, kind of like Han Solo style in Empire, um, 
you have that be the cliffhanger that leads into the next movie, which is more stuff about following the path of them. You have Balazar hook up with some of these otherworldly forces, like maybe no, Sayer dies in the movie, um, but some other agent of the Crimson King, right? Hell, you make Balazar an agent of the Crimson King. The Crimson King reaches out to Balazar because Matthew Connie, because the man in black is dead. Um, you have the Crimson King be one of these demons from the outside that's kind of influencing things from the outside. Um, and at some point, in, over the course of the series, you have the big reveal be that um, the Crimson King is attached to the Dark Tower in some way, which is kind of, uh, that's a reference to the book. In the books, the Crimson King is like trapped on a balcony attached to the side of the Dark Tower um, in a very weirdly literal way. Like I always thought that was kind of like the Dark Tower was his prison was just supposed to be kind of like metaphorical, but he's literally like trapped on a balcony on the outside of the Dark Tower and he like lobs bombs at, at, Roland as he makes his final approach to it. Um, uh, it's weird. Um, but you could, I, this is one of the things you could fix. You could make it more metaphorical. You could have, like, you know, the Dark Tower is in some way tied to this and that, that like, you know, there, the reason, if it crumbles, then Crimson King's released. I think you could do a whole bunch of cool stuff with that. Um, that's kind of, like, what these things start to build to. Um, kind of, um, I also wouldn't have killed Matthew McConaughey. Um, maybe you can rewind that by having somebody resurrect him or something. Cause, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you picked up on it, but some of those guys in that he fought, um, they weren't all like the skin men, the, the Taheen, I think is, is what they, what they are. Um, some of them are vampires. Um, I did not pick up on that. Holy yeah. Shit. Um, cause vampires also figure into this, um, in kind of a half-assed way, but like it, it's, it's part of the mythos. Okay. Um, and I think you could do stuff with that, like like raise him as a vampire or something, and you could you can recite like I think I think McConaughey wants to show up again and kind of be like this Vader um Vader Crims uh Vader Emperor relationship type of stuff. Or maybe you replace that with Balzahar or you know, one one of these other suggestions. But I, I think that's right, how right, you right. do it. Um I'm obviously well, fair enough. Yeah. Uh I guess that's how we feel about the Dark Tower. Yeah. Pretty, pretty piece of shit. Is yeah. it the worst movie you've seen so far this year? This year? Um, one that came out this year, yes. I did see The Room a couple of times this year. Oh, did uh, you? <laughs> did you really? Yeah. What? Did you just, like, with people, or? So the first time I saw it, I watched it on my own because I wanted to listen to The Disaster Artist on tape. Okay. Because um, that came highly recommended, so I watched mm -hmm. it. It was terrible. And then I went to two screenings of it. One by myself, and then on my birthday, I dragged a bunch of people out to it. And it's it's fun when people are just, like, screaming at the screen, like, why is this, you know, like, like, yeah. Um, so, you know, I recommend those things, but, you know, Room is definitely a worse movie than, than this movie. Okay, fair, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Fair but much. at least that movie is so bad that you can watch it for its badness. Yeah. Yeah, this, like, this movie is, uh, I, I actually have a hard time placing this or Ghost in the Shell lower on my list. Um, oh, that's a good point. Because they both suffer from the same kind of, like, <coughs> genericness kind of problem, I guess. So, um, I'm going to say Ghost in the Shell is worse, if only because the source material was better. And so it's a bigger betrayal of its source material. Oh, interesting. See, I was actually going to say that Ghost in the Shell was better, just because the source material was better. So, like, uh, at least it has, like, neat visuals to, like, kind of, like, oh, make, it, make, up for, make up for that. See, my, my immediate thought, like, 
of, of this is like this move this book series does not deserve a good a- adaptation because it's so like dumb in places <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah because like and you know like like i think ghost in the shell and uh and um uh, I think Ghost in the Shell and uh, fucking The Dark Tower both have this problem of awful cinematography because it's just so bland and lifeless. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so normal that, like, it doesn't make anything. But the, there's one exception to that, which is that, like, there's one or two shots in Ghost of the Shell that are, like, shot-for-shot shot remakes of things from the anime or from the movie, right? Like, obviously, the major doing that, like like dive off of the the building into the city right yeah, yeah you know what i mean and so at least it has good cinematography by way of shamelessly stealing it from something better right? fair enough you know? yeah <laughs> like, but uh but uh but yeah i definitely don't recommend it i definitely don't think it's worth anyone's uh i don't think it's worth anyone's time oh well i really hope we forget about this one what do you mean i like- just like i just hope that it goes away you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> yeah i kind of do too um, um, but, uh, but anyway, so how yeah. was your week? It was pretty good. We played some Hell's Rebels. Um, we did play some Hell's Rebels. Uh, the, uh, basically we went to the, uh, the, the Sap Catalyst Academy, got there, um, got them to join up really easily. And then we discovered they were turning people into beastmen in the basement. Um, and typical Beauregard fashion, he was just like, well, we could just ignore it. <laughs> And enough people were like, yeah, we could. And, like, the only – is like, oh, we have to hold them accountable after the war. She's like, fine, great, perfect. You know, push the problems off till later. That That's how we solve problems in, in the Silver Ravens. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wanted to flip it on its head, uh, like like the, uh, the kind of typical paradigm, right, um, for how you got – like, you know what I mean? Like, the idea that you show up and um, – and have to like complete some task or work really hard in order to get people to join up, kind of thing. Uh, like I didn't want that to like repeat every time. I right. wanted there to be a little bit of like variety in that. And so like Sap Catalyst Academy is like, yeah, no, they like they they joined. They're really useful. They're like really good allies to have, right? They have some like good units or whatever for like mass combat and everything like that. It is completely painless. One dinner, you just kind of say, hey, you know, like, like why not? The question is when you figure out. The like you figure out like the 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 ethics of what's going on, um, is it like all of a sudden is it worth it? Right, you know what I mean. Like, are we going to go back on? Uh, are we going to go back on this? And I really tried to like pump up the the like the moral quandary of the question a lot because I like the thing that I didn't want to do was have it be like, well, they're using you know like it's a worse version of this if they're using just villagers from Ravenel, right? Right. You know what I mean? But, like, using refugees that already hate your rebellion and are partial to Barzillai Thrun culturally, right? Um, it's like, well, well, that's kind of a good thing for us, right? You know what I mean? And then, yeah. like, and then in these journals, right, like, it's not like, like, Maznar and uh, and Kurt Eichen, Eichenwald are not, like... hey. It's there Kurt Eichenschlag. Br- Kurt Eichenwald's a real person. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder where I got that name <laughs> from. Um, um, I was I was waiting for you to for you to be like, and you open his journal, and it's full of anime titties. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that. I just like that. Like that. Like I just like that. Yeah, no, I'm trying that's to a good go name. with like. A, I'm trying to go with a, a, something of like a Germanic uh, like yeah. naming convention for a lot of these. Uh, 
you know, which is mostly just born out of Tonric Bauer is like Germanic, so right. everyone else in Ravendell has to be, I guess. But anyway, and so, but like, you know, like reading, and it's like, it's like, no, like it's not, they didn't jump into this, they're not doing this out of some like Joseph Mungala, like, like, you know, uh, like, like fixation with trying to like learn new, th- it's, it's like, this was a question they agonized over and they came to a decision Right, because like the great, because of like the greater good sort right, of thing, right. and so uh, I don't know. I was very, I was very happy with that, especially because it was like all improv, to be honest. <laughs> like, oh man, uh, like the the whole thing with Dead Ryan being there was just right at the last second. I was just oh, like, nice. Yeah, it'd be a little bit more drama if Dead Ryan was actually here and participating in the experiments without his knowledge, right? Yeah, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I do like, I don't know. I kind of wish that somebody had like figured out that like I was what I was doing, but like kept their mouth shut or something that way. Like, you know, like that's like juicy drama down the road. Right. Oh my God. That would have been um, great. But you know, um, I'm also, I am from an, you know, Beauregard is happy essentially that, you know, everyone believes his lies. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <coughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I don't think there's a lot to dig into there, unless you had stuff that you wanted to. to no, not really. I was just uh, that that was it. That was it, I guess. Oof. All right. Well, I know you've been wanting to talk about Norska, so why don't you tell me a little bit okay, about Norska? Okay, all right. I will talk about Norska. So Norska came out two days ago, uh, and they launched the um. Uh, they launched the the game and like the patch with it at 12 p.m. Eastern time. What the fuck, Creative Assembly? I was like staying up till like midnight. I was like, when is this thing gonna drop? When is this thing is gonna drop? Like maybe it's a weird time zone thing. Like I don't know. Like are they in? Some, I was like, what the fuck? Are they like in Japan or something? Like this is so weird. And then I found out that they dropped their patches uh, at uh, at noon like of the day in Central Time, even though their studio is in like. They have a they have a studio in uh, uh, San Francisco or like San Jose or something like that, um, and then another one in England. And I was like, why? This makes no sense. Why? Um, plus, like Sega is like a is like a Japanese company. I right. don't understand it. Anyway, whatever. Um, but they released Norska. Norska is the best faction that I think I've played yet, and I really think that it has re- like great implications for other. You know, like, for, like, more Total War stuff, right? Like, as Total War gets... Like, as time passes in Total War, this game just gets better and better. And it's, like, so incredible to me that, like, they're basically this untouchable when it comes to... um, Like, the only thing is that I think that, like, the stuff is expensive. But even then, the game is so good that I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of worth it to, you know what I mean? To, like, pay ten bucks... Uh, to get, uh, you know, like, to get this faction or whatever. Premium um, price for a premium product? Uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of exactly what it is, right? You know what I mean? Like, um, it's like, when I, like, Total War Warhammer, I don't think it was my top of the year, but I think it was my second best of that year, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it might have been top of that year, I, I can't even remember. Um, that game released, and it was really good, and it just had, like, four, fa- five factions, right? Um, 
And then technically a sixth with the old Norska, uh, so and then technically seven with the old Bretonia, right? So there were kind of these like placeholder factions for Bretonia and placeholder factions for Norska, right? And then you had the four main factions, and then you had the first DLC, which was like pre-release DLC of like Warriors of Chaos, right? Yeah. Then they released two full new factions. Um, Wood Elves and Beastmen, right? So now you have nine factions, and they flesh out uh, both the uh, the Bretonian roster and the Norska roster so that they're not, like, placeholders anymore. And on top of that, they add all of these new units uh, to the four, like, regular starting factions, right? You get a new Legendary Lord and a new set of, uh, like, a new set of baseline units, a bunch of new starting locations, um, for dwarves, vampire counts, and the vampire counts doesn't quite count because it's like right next to the original vampire count starting location. Um, and greenskins, right? Uh, the only person that doesn't have a new starting location, uh, which actually kind of sucks to be honest, is the empire. Um, Bretonia has multiple start locations. Even wood elves have multiple start locations, right? Uh, the beastmen have start locations that are all across the map. Um, and, uh, and so the game just feels like better and better. But like, but as this stuff has piled on, right, the downside is that some of the vanilla stuff, and especially kind of like the AI, right, and like the legendary lord trees, which were like a little bit more conservative because like they didn't know if this game would be like a hit or it wouldn't be kind of a thing like that, right? Like this stuff gets almost dated where, you know, Orion the leader of the Wood Elf faction is just like this unstoppable badass. Carl Franz, who is also supposed to be an unstoppable badass, right? Um, he kind of is worse uh, in comparison because of this like power creep or whatever. So with the Norska release, right? And in the last patch for Total War 1 before Total War, Ham Total War Warhammer 2, they also released what's called like the Old World Update or like the Foundation the foundation update where they did like a bunch of rework level stuff for um uh for all of the like the first uh factions that came out and it's so cool that they you know like it's so cool that they've done this stuff they also added what are called regiments of renown um did I, have i explained regiments yeah, of yeah. Renown in the podcast yeah so there's regiments of renown for the four main races right but now they've added regiments of renown for um norska chaos um, basically all the other playable factions, right? Norska, Chaos, Bretonia, Wood Elves, uh, Beastmen. Um, uh, so now everybody has Regiments of Renown to recruit from, which is really cool because Regiments of Renown, uh, really change up the way that you play, like, the, like, the game gets played. Um, uh, and so, like, uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's so cool. It's so neat that they, uh, that they reworked everything to kind of bring it all up to parody um right before the release of total war warhammer 2 and it's just like holy shit right like i don't know i i kind of wonder uh when these guys uh uh like like is is the final product of all of these total war warhammer games going to be just like the best thing ever because i keep having really great things to say about it and i already started with really great things to say about it right you know what i mean like yeah. are they gonna fuck it up i don't know like is it even possible at this point because the, the foundation is so good i don't know um so i'm very i'm very hyped i'm very i'm very down and uh uh yeah i don't know that's uh that's my spiel about total war warhammer uh with the norska update yeah i need i need to get on that at some point 
Um, we should play some co-op on stream. We definitely should sometime. play some co-op on stream. I'm actually really like hyped for the uh, for the uh, for the ability to do some co-op. All right. Uh, well, we could talk about that. Uh, some we'll plan that offline. We'll uh, let you guys know through our Twitter or something. Yeah. The the new rumor, and this is just a, I want to point out this is just a rumor. The new rumor is that there's going to be right now it's just two players who play together and they typically play co-op, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like two players kind of versus all of these AI factions. Um, but with the combined world, the rumor is that it will pop up to four players, right? And it will be a little bit less focused on. Uh, it will be li like a little bit less focused on like all of the players versus the world, and it'll be a little bit more like competitive uh, in nature. Um, so yeah, right? That's like. Woo! That's a little, uh, that's like, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. No, that'd be awesome. I think it would be awesome, but I also think it would be hilariously, like, like, unbalanced and unfun in yeah. a certain sense. Like, I bet, I bet, like, if we were to play this with some of our really, really good, um, uh, if we were to play this with some of our really, really good, like, strategy game friends, we would just get, like, fucking wrecked. Like, I think of my, like, I think I'm a very good Total War Warhammer player, and I think I really understand the systems well enough that I feel confident in my ability to, like, play and stuff like that, or whatever, but I just, like, it, it is a game that is not built or balanced around multiplayer on the campaign map, which is why I think, to be honest, like, as much as I love the idea of this rumor, it might just be just a rumor, you yeah. know, like, yeah. Anyway. Also, I wonder how you do, like, resolve like battles when there's yeah i mean i think there might be a little bit more auto resolving necessary um it depends because yeah. you know the game punishes auto resolves right like it you the if you spend time on every single battle you fight you will be, do better right even right, on right. battles that you are clearly going to like win or clearly going to lose sort of thing because the game intentionally overcompensates the amount of casualties you're going to get by uh which which is its incentive for you to play more battles than than yeah. not right instead of just auto resolving everything, um, and so I wonder if like will that go away? You know what I mean? I've also have a you know like I don't even think that the auto resolve system really understands what is like an even fight uh, versus a a hard fight. Right. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of like the systems are just really complicated. And I don't think that it can um, uh, like I don't think that it can like easily. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah I, like I don't think they can they can easily represent this stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah. Uh I don't really have anything else to say about that because I think you've encapsulated it pretty perfectly. Uh. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, I've got a couple other things, just kind of follow up stuff. Yeah. Um. So the first thing I want to talk about is, um, are you familiar with Destiny, the old StarCraft Two streamer? I am. Um, he recently received a short ban from Player Unknown's Battlegrounds um, because he loaded into a game and none of his buildings loaded in, and uh, he got <coughs> in the car and he drove over a bunch of people who were sitting in buildings. Um, well, obviously this is an abuse of a bug. I'm also kind of curious as to what your take is on this because the, there's part of me that's like, yeah, you shouldn't do this, but also part of me that's like, well, you loaded into a game and like. What are you supposed to do, just quit out and, like, cross your fingers? Like, especially if there's no... I, I guess it doesn't matter if there's no kind of, um... What's the word? There's no, like, ranking, like rankings available? Actually, but there are rankings, right? Like, if... I know it doesn't matter because it's early access. But at the same time... At the same time, if the rankings don't matter because it's early access, the fact that you're, like, dealing with, like, the... Like, like... 
I don't know. To me, there's a fundamental difference between an exploit that you can choose not to exploit and one where, like, you just can't interact with the game properly regardless of what you want to do. Right? It's not like this guy turned off the buildings. It's that they didn't load in and his only recourse is to exit out of the game mm-hmm. and to hope that it... I think, I think there's a difference there. Well, what do you think? Um, my, uh, so people who, okay, people who abuse exploits, um, are, uh, culpable for that. And I think that Destiny should have known better. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, like, Destiny, I, I don't know, I, I think, I, I get where you're coming from, and I think to a certain extent it is, uh, um, it is on the developers that their game had this exploit to begin with, right? But it's not like like unless you can unless you can prove that it's like Destiny's first time and he didn't really understand what was going on, sort of thing, right? Or like even that like the the textures were like popping in and out maybe, and uh, and as he was driving, he meant to just like ram someone into the house but like you know what i mean like unless you can like really definitively prove that it's an accident but i just like i don't know man it really sounds like he discovered an exploit and he abused it for his own for his own game and that is uh, his own gain uh and that is something that uh i feel like uh a short suspension is kind of worth i mean he it was a short it's not like he got like permabanned right it was a short suspension and the thing making waves is that his first game back um it happened again, and he quit out. Um, like, he landed at the military base, and there was no buildings. So, um, either he quit out, or he just spectated people or something. Like, he he, he, he played nice, essentially. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that that's the, that's like, the kind of, I mean, and I also think that it is, like, the developer's responsibility to kind of, like, fix this shit, right? Um, on top of the kind of, um, uh, like, to a certain extent, I think uh, he... Uh, like, I, I also think that there's a way in which he could play the game, um, maybe where he doesn't abuse it. You know I what mean, I mean? Like, maybe if he there's... gets in the middle of a, of a cornfield and he's just having kind of cornfield duels I mean, with people. I, I, I honestly think that there's no way for him to play the game, because at the very least you could see through the... Like, you don't might necessarily not even know where the buildings are supposed to be, like... And, like, yeah, it's, it's hard to, like, true. loot stuff even if you can't go into a building. Yeah, or, and it's also, like, it, like, are you breaking the game because you just walk through a closed door? Yeah. You know, um, and, like, loot everything in there? Yeah, so, I, you know, I I think, would you agree to this, like, it's, it's wrong, but it's less wrong than, like, a thing that you would be able to, like, that you, you couldn't, that you could ignore if you wanted to? Okay, so like I, I think I feel fine about that. Like, just some recognizes that this is different, even if it's still wrong what he did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm cool with resting on that. Um. And the other thing, uh, you asked me about this earlier, and I kind of wanted to save my response for the podcast. Is uh, is they they announced microtransactions for Shadow Four, a game that I am very very hype about. Oof. Yeah, we've talked about your hype for Shadow before uh, yeah. quite a bit on the podcast, which is why I was actually very interested as soon as I saw these like this microtransaction announcement. Yeah, I kind of knew it was coming because they they had shown like the two different currencies, and you only have two currencies if you pay real world money for one of them. Um, and I think so. So my basic view is that. It doesn't seem like there's anything unique in these crates. And they only seem like they're kind of like boosters and stuff. 
Okay. And so if I can play through the single player game and they haven't made like they haven't degraded the play of the of the single player game so much so that buying these boosters is a practical necessity, I think I'm okay. I think this falls into kind of the same vein as like cheating in a first person game. Um which is cheating for money, which at mm -hmm. that level doesn't bother me so much. Um I have no real plans to engage in kind of what is the multiplayer aspect of this, is like you build up your base and then you can attack other players' bases and whatnot. Um, and I feel like that's the thing that's most likely to get ruined by this, where, like, you have people who are, um, who have ultra-powerful bases because they basically paid for them. Um, and if I was excited for this, I'd be very mad about that. If that was the reason I was buying the game, I'd be, um, I wouldn't buy the game, but I'm buying it for the single-player content. And so long as the single-player content is playable, um, reasonably, with what's on the table... It doesn't bother me so much, if that makes sense. Uh, what do you think? Uh, so, what do I think? Um, I am less hyper about this kind of stuff than you are in theory. Like, like so, for instance, you still would call this pay to win, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I would call it pay to win. Okay, but this is like, in the same way that I would say, like, Payday 2 has acceptable pay-to-win. This has, theoretically, acceptable pay-to-win. Okay. Um, I, and I feel like that kind of has to be my position a little bit. But there's a big difference to me between the loot box model and the kind of Dragon Age 2 model. Like, I've talked a lot about how I like the Dragon Age 2 DLC um, the, that just gives you, you know, like that you can just buy to give yourself items or whatever. Um, because that is pay to win in a certain sense, but it's, it's pay to win in a certain very specific sense, right? You buy these, these accessory packs so that you can kit out your followers, right? With gear that will all, that will auto level with them so that you, if you don't want to worry about like the inventory management system of Dragon Age 2 and like making sure that all of your companions have the right kind of gear levels and everything like that, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like you have, here's a DLC option in order to, in order to have that uh uh function yeah, yeah, yeah right you know and i and i think that that is a great paradigm right um it's kind of uh it's kind of a dlc paradigm that's not about adding content to the game but allowing you to customize what systems you do and do not engage with um especially in the context of replayability right my first time through i did everything you know what i mean like i, I wouldn't want any of this kind of dlc because i wanted to experience like the full game and like all of its like inventory stuff but when i'm replaying dragon age 2 three or four times later right um that stuff becomes tedious quickly and this gives me the option to remove that for you know a five dollar price tag all right that makes some sense to me right um a loot box by the by its nature and the randomness of its nature does not fulfill that function basically at all right like you can make like tangible upgrades or whatever but because it's all random it's like I, I don't, I, I like, I just think, I just feel like they're, they're kind of taking something. And I think the loot box system is good for something like Overwatch, right? Right. Um, because, uh, like, the context of that game is different. But it's also it's cosmetic. Yeah, exactly. It's all cosmetic. It's in, it's in this multiplayer game, right? Um, where, uh, uh, you know, you're replaying the same kind of, like, modes over and over again, right? The loot boxes are not different between the ones that you earn for free and the ones that, uh, you know, you, you don't, um... But moving that into a single-player experience is a dangerous proposition to me. I like—I just don't know how else to say it uh, besides that. I guess 
Um, I, I think that that's not, I don't know, like, like, I, I guess in a way I think of it in the, in terms of like, I, I am more like, I am more, uh, susceptible to doing my, like, I don't think microtransactions are bad. I don't think DLC are bad in and of themselves. I think that they are, uh, uh, I think that they are good in the right context. Um, and so the thing that I worry about, right, is, um, or, the, or like my metric here, I guess a little bit is me like measuring, would I participate in this microtransaction? Would I purchase this DLC, um, in a world of kind of like infinite money? And I, and I think the answer is just like, no, like, I think it just doesn't do, I just think it's not effective. I think it is a cash grab. Um, I think that's fair. I don't yeah, think that I don't know. think that makes the game bad, but it means yeah. I no, I, and, I, and I do want to separate that out. I definitely do want to separate that out. Like, there's a lot of times where people say something along the lines of like, "Oh, well, you're not getting the full experience, right?" Because they've, you know, like they've cut out some portion of the game in order to make, um, in order to make it microtransactionable, right? And to a certain extent, that will always be true because I think these things do, you know, like like games get designed that way. Like, it's just it to say that they don't is is just that's also yeah. false and kind of like the other extreme of it or whatever um, but I think the effect of that is much less pronounced than people say you know like it is totally possible to buy the vanilla version of Total War Warhammer and get the best experience without buying any of the DLC right because you're you, you know because you can sit there and you can play the Empire right you play Carl Franz in the Empire and you're still in, and the, the Wood Elves are still there Chaos is still there you know what I mean all these other factions are still there that's still in your game it's just whether or not you can like go and like play as these factions um, or uh, or whatever and so it's, it's so like it, it is like and so that's one way in which uh, they the, like a company could chop out DLC chunk but you still get it for free essentially like that I'm just gonna like put a final word in I think Shadow of War will probably be a really strong game the the microtransactions that they that they have put out don't give me too much cause for concern in terms of whether or not I think the game will be like playable or good right like I have I have a feeling that that it'll be worse than the original uh Shadow of Mordor just from the like Shadow of Mordor kind of came out of left field for everyone um and delivered on its promise in a way that games incredibly rarely do um but you know, at, at the end of the day, I don't really think that this is going to jeopardize. Uh, this, this is going to jeopardize too much. It's bad DLC, but it won't make for a bad game. Um, but we have some announcements that we're going to make for the podcast uh, because it's important to do things. Um, so if you're listening to this, you know that this is our 96th episode. Yes. Um, first, first thing, if. You're missing episode 95. It's because when we did that advance earlier, um, I missed one, and we should be one more further ahead. So we're at the we're at the right episode number finally now. Yeah, no because uh, we used to renumber the the some derps talk about movies episodes. We don't do that anymore, uh, which means we're almost at 100 episodes, right? And so Mango and I were talking. We're like, holy shit, what are we gonna do for our 100th episode spectacular? And the answer was, let's do a Q and A episode. Lots of lots of podcasts do Q and A's, right? Uh, but the problem is, uh, we don't have too many listeners. So if we did a Q and A podcast with like our listeners, and we were like, ask us questions about this specific topic or whatever, we would get like two questions. It would be a twenty-five minute podcast, maybe if we stretched it really hard. Uh, so we're gonna do the opposite, <laughs> which is we're gonna answer 
every question that gets asked. And we're going to ask a lot of people to ask a lot of questions. And we're going to answer all of them for the 100th episode spectacular. This might be crazy. This might be a really bad idea. And especially it's going to be a bad idea when I go advertise this in like the World of Warcraft Guild Discord, right? When we do this in, uh, in some of our Facebook groups or whatever. But hey... That's what small podcast entrepreneurs like us can do, I guess. <laughs> so that'll be the 100th episode spectacular. A Q&A will answer everything, literally everything. Uh, well, maybe not literally everything. I do. I guess we do reserve the right, like reserve the right to get rid of like trolly bad uh, questions, I guess. But even those will probably be fun. So I have yeah. a feeling we're just gonna answer them. And if you want to ask me what my most embarrassing memory is and have me put that out in the public uh in the public podcast world i guess i am gonna answer that question for you so yeah uh so so that's the first announcement i think that's is, is that the only well, and then the second announcement is that coming up uh okay so star wars episode 8 is coming oh out right yes that, later yes. this year right uh directed by ryan johnson uh and we have not and, and besides our rogue one episode um We've actually not talked a ton about the actual Star Wars movies themselves, even though we've actually talked about Star Wars, like, a lot in our Starfinder content, um, you know, stuff like that. Like, we have talked uh, about uh, basically everything except for the seven movies right now that make up, like, the core of the Star Wars canon. So, we're going to be doing that, but we're going to be doing that in a very special way. <coughs> Coming up in the next couple of months, we're going to be doing two double-sized three-hour episodes of the podcast one for the prequels one for the 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 original trilogy uh and then a standalone episode for uh star wars the force awakens um uh so keep an eye out for uh so keep an eye out for those because we really wanted to get it all you know like we really wanted to get it all on paper i've said a lot of things about star wars and uh and uh figuring out the foundation of all of these star wars opinions is probably a big important deal for us when it comes to uh, uh when it comes to how we talk about star wars and how we talk about our love for like that world and its lore and everything like that so it's important to get that stuff out there um all of these will be completed uh they are scheduled to be completed before the release of episode eight um, so in the lead up to the new, uh, the new Star Wars movies, that's what you'll be getting for us for Star Wars from the podcast. It's going to be great. Love Star I'm, Wars. I'm really excited actually. Cause I love Star Wars too. And I love talking about Star Wars. Like I have like, like certain spiels about Star Wars, like the Star Wars movies that I've basically just memorized because I use them constantly. Um, but, uh, but we'll save that for, uh, for that. So this in the next couple of months. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is, uh, is there anything else that we need to, to plug? Uh, I don't think so, except for the standard stuff. You can email us. You thought of the Dark Tower, um, the books or the movies, or any of the other things we talked about at podcast.somedurpsplaygames.com. You can reach us on, uh, Twitter at at somedurps. You can reach us at Twitch at twitch.tv slash somedurpsplaygames. You can follow us, us individually on Twitter and uh, Facebook and all those great places and you should leave reviews on iTunes and everywhere else give us so many five stars reviews you won't even know what's happening um, <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's about it send in those questions we're really looking forward to them um, buddy do you have anything you wanted to plug uh, no I actually do not uh, uh, I actually do not have anything that I'm looking to plug in that case it's until next time dear listeners <laughs>
Until next time, loyal listeners.